Uh, good morning. Today's daf is daf pei vov. I'm going to go from the third last line at the bottom of pei hei amud base 85b. Today's shir is leilu nishmas ben zion ben zev avraham alevi mer ben shlomo and avraham ben meir. May their memory be a blessing and may their nefshamas have an aliyah. So we mentioned in the in the in the Mishnah yesterday, and that's what the Gemara quotes from Rabbi Huda Aimerim Yesham Tfisis Yad Vachulu. If the if the owner of the property has rights in the prop well, yeah, what was the case? If you have someone who has, let's say, his own house and another house in the courtyard, or I guess a common example in our life, that would almost be someone who has a cottage on his property. So he rents that cottage out. So Rabbi Yehuda taught us that if the owner has Tfisas Yad, if he has rights in that cottage, rights in that second house in the Chotzer, then the person staying there is like his visitor and would not need a separate Eruv or would not make it Oser on the house. I mean, I never thought of it, I never put it into perspective, but I just, when learning this, I realized if you didn't live in a city with an Eruv and you lived in one house and you had a cottage that you were renting out, well then the Chotzer, the garden, your front garden, is now um, shared between two people and theoretically you would need an Eruv Chatzeros. And this is what Rebuild is telling us, unless you have Tvisas Yad. So now we're going to discuss what sort of Tvisas Yad, what sort of rights you have to retain in that building. So Rabbi Yehuda Aymerim Yeshom Tvises Yad V'chulu says, Hey Chidami Tvises Yad, what sort of Tvises Yad? Kagon Chatzeroshel Benuyas Ben Bunyas. Like the courtyard of Bunyas Ben Bunyas. We'll see, um, we'll see a bit more about him now. But basically he used to rent out, he was very, he was extremely wealthy, Bunyas Ben Bunyas, and he used to rent out fully furnished uh, apartments and therefore he had plenty of rats in the other houses and the cottages on his property that he used to rent out because he had a whole lot of furniture in them. Once he came before Rebbe, Omar Lahu Ponumokam Ben Mayamone. Rebbe says, Oh makes space for someone worth Mayamone, a significant sum, Mayamone, it's a ten thousand source, it's a significant sum sum, but he says, Atenishahrina and Omar Lahu. But when another man arrived, Rebbe said to his students, Ponumokam le ben Mosaimone, make space for someone worth two hundred money. So Omar Lafana of Rebbe Ishmael Rebbe Yosi, Rebbe, Aviv Shelzeh. The one you told make way for someone, you gave him a huge honor saying he's worth 200 money. This Bunyas Ben Bunyas, you only attributed half of that wealth. When his father is extremely, extremely wealthy, he has a thousand ships at sea and a thousand cities, um, he owns a thousand cities. Why are you giving honor to the other guy more honor than him? So when you meet his father, tell him, don't send his son dressed in such uh, cheap clothes before me. I didn't realize how wealthy he was because of how he was dressed. And then just to end off this point, Rebbe used to show honor to wealthy people and Rebbe Akiva used to show honor to wealthy people. Based on the drosh of Rav Bamori, 
may he sit before forever before Hashem before Elohim. Chesed ve'emes man yinatruhu who will guard Chesed and emes and provide for him. Now he explains the pasuk with the drosh. He says, "Emos ayoshev oylam nifne Elohim." When will someone stay before um, eternally before Hashem? When will the world last? When the wealthy are doing charity, are being generous with their wealth. So very, just a few points on this last piece. I mean, it was a little bit of a side point to mention how wealthy Bunyas Ben Bunyas was. Um, but one po- interesting point is we uh, to think about is we, it seems he was named after his father while his father was still alive. Ashkenazim don't do that. I mean, Sfarim too, but Ashkenazim don't do that. We see here Bunyas Ben Bunyas. And Rebbe said, when you meet his father, tell him not to send me the son like this. So we knew his father was alive. Secondly, we see, um, based on his clothes, it seems that a person should dress, again, I, I don't know how opulently a person should dress, whether they should be dressing like kings and princes, but a person should dress dignified. A person should, if he has the financial means, he should dress smart and dignified and shouldn't come... Um, before Rebbe in uh, rags, etc. And then a, th- a third thing to look into is what does it mean Rebbe and Rebbe Akiva used to honor wealthy people? Why would they honor wealthy people? What's, you know, what's special about them? We're not speaking about uh, um, what's it? They weren't doing Hanifa, trying, they weren't uh, being, uh, they weren't fund collectors, charity collectors, Rebbe and Rebbe Akiva, who are doing clearly, um, I mean, because we know of their personal integrity and stuff. They clearly weren't doing this just to get a little bit more money for their yeshivas or for their organizations. They were sincere, great, great, uh, phenomenal people. So why would, So there's obviously some intrinsic value of at honoring wealthy people. Um, so, and the Posuk seems to say wealthy, why honor wealthy people? Why do these wealthy, rich people deserve honor? Because they give existence to the world through their tzedakah. I think that's the key point here. I know the Vilna Gon says in, uh, I'm trying to think, in his commentary to Rus, he says that you must know that all the wealth Hashem has given you, is speaking to, I guess, wealthy people, but probably anyone of who has the means, you should know that the wealth Hashem has given you is solely to be able to give tzedakah and help other people with your money. I'm not, I mean, it's a whole discussion in tzedakah in its own right, how far and keeping for your family, and uh, keeping luxuries for yourself, but there's definitely an aspect of all your wealth is given to you to give to the poor, and I think that's what Rebbe and Rebbe Akiva were honoring. There's a special level of existence and uh, safety that Hashem gives to this world, Chesed and Emes, when um, when wealthy people are giving to Doka. And because of that, they deserve honor. I mean, so I mean, in my mind, it's very clear that it's connecting the honor that Rebbe and Rebbe Akiva gave to wealthy people due to the tzedakah that they can give. I think that's an important lesson and an important thing to keep in mind. Um, okay, back to our point. So we again, we were discussing if someone has a cottage on their property, just to translate it into our terms, and they rent it out, when would they need? When would the person be viewed as independent and they need to set up an Eruv Chatzairos? Or when do we say, like Rabbi Yudah says, if the owner has Tfisa Siyad, if he has rights in the cottage, he can use it. So we just brought one opinion. 
And that was that he is a, basically a fully furnished cottage. He has lots of rights. He has lots of his property in that cottage. Um, Rabbi Barbar Khana Omar, Rabbi Khana said, Kagon said Shomach Reisha. If, they, if he just has the peg of a plow, it doesn't have to be something significant. You, as the landlord, just retain the rights to keep some of your gardening tools there. You have rights in it, and therefore he would be considered your visitor or staying by you, and you would not need a separate Eruv. Omar Ram Nachman, Tana Devei Shmuel, Ram Nachman said from the Yeshiva, Shmuel, Dovar Anital Beshabbos Asur, Dovar Sha'ena Nital Beshabbos Eno Asur. Something that can be removed on Shabbos would still be also would the courtyard the, the the cottage the person staying on the property would oyster it but if it's something that cannot be moved on Shabbos then it's considered as if the owner has rights in it and the person staying there would be a visitor and you would not require an Eruv I, again the Rashi explains what's the reason because if it's something that can be taken out on Shabbos Maybe the owner or maybe the tenant will throw it out. So if you have something, um, yeah, let's see what sort of item. It says, We have a bracer which teaches us. If the owner is keeping his tevil, remember grain that can't be eaten, so it's muktza, or metal rods, or anything that cannot be moved on Shabbos, the person staying there, Will not ban the, would not require an Eruv. He's considered a visitor by the owner. So, again, let's just go into this a little bit more detail because it's quite an interesting discussion. We said, so it comes out again if you have someone staying on you, renting out your cottage, or you have a, another house in the Chotzer and you're renting it out. Rebuta teaches us, obviously, if he's totally independent there, well, then he's a separate owner in the Chotzer, and you'd have to make an Eruv Chatzeres to be allowed to carry in the Chotzer. Rebuda says if the owner retains rights in that house, in that cottage, well then he does not have to. And we gave various levels of what would be considered Tfisa's Yad, but the last one we went off with, we left off with, and it seems to maybe be um, to be the Halacha, is something that can that the owner is storing there, doesn't have to be long-term story that the owner is keeping there, but cannot be moved on Shabbos. So the first question, is it that it can't be moved because... So the first question I'd like to ask, is it that it can't be moved because it's Muktzah? I specifically, because it's Muktzah, it can't be moved, and therefore the owner has rights to his cottage on Shabbos, and therefore the, the person staying there is like a visitor. Or is it... Or what happens if it can't be moved because the person's legally not allowed to? Like when you go stay at a hotel, you're not allowed to just put their beds and their side tables and all their stuff in the corridor. You're not allowed to move their stuff because you don't have the legal rights to chuck their stuff out the house. So is it just halakhically that you can't move it? Or even legally that you can't move it? Would that give the owner Tisus Yad in it? So it seems from Rashi, Rashi uses the language here, because if he wants, he can throw it out. I sounds like we're not discussing the the. It's not to do with mukta, more to do with the tenant's rights, I a legal issue, um, and therefore it would be either if it can't be moved because it's mukta, it can't be moved because part of the agreement is that he's not allowed to. 
Then according to Rashi, the owner would have two sisyad. And they bring from the Rambam, slightly based on a very subtle difference in the language, because the Rambam focuses, can the maskir, the landlord, take it out? I, Rashi's focusing on the tenant. Can the tenant take it out of his house? So therefore, it's got to do with his rights, his legal rights to remove this from his cottage, his renting. But according to the Rambam, the focus is on the maskir, the landlord. Well, then obviously it's got nothing to do with legal rights. It's got purely to do with mukta. So that seems to be a machloikas rishonim. So then they interestingly ask, they said, what type of mukta? You get the sort of mukta like mukta machmas gufo, things that are not allowed to be moved under all circumstances. Mukta machmas cheshron kiss, something that is exceedingly valuable and for a specific purpose, and therefore it's not allowed to be moved in all cases. But what happens if it's a light level of muksa, like a klisha malachtala isur? Just like one of the classic examples of a klisha malachtala isur is a hammer. A hammer is muksa because it's used for building. However, if you want to use the hammer to crack open nuts, then it would be mutar. So, what level of muksa? So, theoretically, you could get this hammer. Or if the hammer was left on the dining room table and you want to set the table for Shabbos, you can move the hammer. Because you need it for a mutar use or because you need where it is, it's in your way. So is, would that be considered um, Sorry, would a klishamalahtal isur be considered something that can't be moved because in many circumstances you can actually move it. So if, let's say, you have a cottage on your property and you reserve the rights to leave uh, your hammer in the one uh, cupboard there, does that count as a twistus yad? Because if you need the hammer on Shabbos, you can remove it on Shabbos. And we learned that if it's something that can be removed, it's not considered twistus yad if it can be removed on Shabbos. Okay, so that's one uh, interesting point that comes out. That's a debate. Um, and then just finally, what happens if it's something that can't be moved because it's very, very heavy? I Let's say it's not mukta and it's um, it's not mukta and the person has rights to move it out but he just can't because it's too heavy. A bookshelf, a couch, you know, something like that. That's not muksa, but can't be moved because it's so heavy. Would that be considered tfisus yad of the owner? So, um, many amongst them, the two one who say that it is tfisus yad, and one of the proofs they bring here is because in, our, in the price that we brought to teach something that can't be moved, one of the things that's mentioned was ashoshish, metal rods. It mentions tevil, grain that can't be eaten, so it's muksa, and ashosh is metal rods. What's it adding by teaching metal rods? Must be teaching something that's very heavy, not to do with muksa, but heavy that it can't be moved. Okay, so that's an interesting discussion on what's considered ownership in a, a tfusa's yard in a property that you would not be able to move it. Let's go on to the next Mishnah. Haminiyah, base of a halach lishfus if you leave your house empty in the courtyard and you go stay in another city, whether it's an Anjo or whether it's a Jew, you still oyser it because Rebbe Meir holds Dira below Balim Shmei Dira. A house without residence is still a house. So just because he's not staying in that house in the Chotzer, 
he, he is still a resident of the Chatzar and he would have to be part of the Eruv. Or if it's a Jew, you'd have to rent the house from him. Rabbi Yehuda says he does not oyser it. Rabbi Yehuda says if someone's not staying there, if he's not staying in the Chatzar, he can't oyser the Chatzar on you. Rabbi Yehuda holds the same as Rabbi Yehuda that generally if you're not staying there, you can't oyser it. He says, however, a non-Jew can come back on Shabbos. Even if he's gone to another city, he can come back on Shabbos, so therefore he will still oyster it, unlike a Jew. Why shame there is Israel? Love of the Shabbos, because a Jew won't return from another city to his home on Shabbos. He can't come out of the Tchum. And Rabbi Shimon, I mean, Rabbi Shimon says, Rabbi Shimon says, even if he leaves his house and goes stays by his daughter in that same city, he would not oyster on the um, he would not oyster the courtyard on those staying there because he's already removed it from his heart. Uh, if you pack up and go stay by your daughter for Shabbos, you're not going to come back to your home. And therefore, it's, uh, it's as if you don't stay there. And someone not staying there won't oyster the courtyard on the other people. Says, Omar Rav, Halacha, Rabbi Shimon. Rav says the Halacha is like Rabbi Shimon. Either if the Jew is unlikely to return on Shabbos, he doesn't oyster the property on those who are staying there. This is specifically if he goes to stay by his son, but not by, by his daughter, but not if he goes to stay by his son. To Omri Inshi, as people say, if a male dog barks at you, you can still go in. Barks at you, you can still go in. If a female dog barks at you, leave. If you go stay by your daughter and you have a little bit of a argument with your son-in-law, it's fine, you can still stay there. It's not so bad if you get in an argument with a with with man. But if you go stay by your daughter-in-law, by your son, and you have an argument with your daughter-in-law, you're going to have to return home. Much more problematic. And therefore, if someone goes to stay by their son, there's a chance that they will end up going home, and therefore it's not a good Eruv. Okay, next Mishnah. If you have a board between two courtyards. Um, now this, yeah, board between two courtyards. And now there's a wall of the two courtyards running straight along over it. Let me quickly show you a picture of it. Um, make it a drop easier. Sorry, one second. So you have your two chatseros and um, between and there's a wall going across the chatseros and it goes over a bore. Now we want to know. So he says, Ein mimenu elim kain You are not allowed to draw from that bore on Shabbos unless you make a machitza a partition ten fachim high. Now it says Bain Milamata Bain Bain This is whether the the Mechitz is submerged in the water, but these terms will clarify in the Gomorrah, or whether it is um Ugno from the rim of the bore going down. Right, so it's basically what the Tanakama is saying is that the, the wall itself that's built to split the courtyard 
is not sufficient to count as a partition to split the bar. Remember the concern is that if you draw, firstly the water is all mixed together. So you can't draw from the water of this side because it might be actual, it's all considered one water. So you're drawing from water that belongs to the other side as well. Or you can even say that the bucket might drift under the wall and draw from there. But we'll see more about this in the Gemara. say the wall must be below, and Beishilal say the wall must be above. Okay, we'll see exactly what Beishama and Beishilal are referring to in the Gemara. Rabbi Yehuda says you don't have any better Mechitza than the wall that's going over them. Either in the diagram I'm showing you, the grey wall, the regular wall that's splitting the Chotzer into, what could be better than that? That's definitely sufficient. You would not need to make a further partition. Okay, now the Gemara is going to go on the Machlokas Beisham and Beishilal. It's going to give two possibilities of what they meant. So, Omar Mamush. When it said going down, it meant literally going down. I down. Um, um, down to the water. And then when it says Lamala Lamala Mamish, and when it said above, it meant that sorry, so that's Beishamai. Beishamai say Lamata must be below. Iron must be in the bottom of the airspace of the bore eye down to the water. And Bazil say Lamala Lamala Mamisha can be right by the top of the bore. As you can see in this diagram, it's a cross section of a bore. I don't think it's the clearest, but um, it's sufficient. So again, Beishamai say Lamata, it must go down to the water. And Bazil say Lamala, it can just be ten him from the lip of the bore of the well. Vizeh vizeh babor, and both Beis Hillel and Bashamai are discussing the cavity, not in the water. That's Rav Huna. So again, Rav Huna is discussing the cavity, we're discussing above the water, but it has to be ten for him. Rav Yehuda, Omer Rav Yehuda says, Lamata, no, when, when Bashamai say it must be Lamata, it means Lamata min hamayim, it means below the water. I under, submerged from the bottom of the pit, from the bottom of the well upwards. And Lamala, when he said Lamala, it meant just on top of the water. Now interestingly enough, if you notice, that base Hillel, I Lamala, according to Rabbi Yehuda, it means above, up from the water, is the Lamata of Rav Huna. Just interesting to notice, um, but that's the thing. So again, but just to remember it, Rav Huna is discussing in the hole of the bore, I above the water. So Lamala would mean at the top of the hole going down. And Beishamai who say Lamata would be from the water going up. And Rav Yehuda is discussing regarding the water. Lamala means it must be a little bit coming out of the water. And Beishamai holds Lamata below means it must be in the bottom of the water. Says Omale Rabba Barakhan and Abaya Rabba Barakhan and said to Abaya, Hod Omar of Yehuda Lamata Lamata min Amayim. Maishna Lamata Mamish. Yeah, Rav Yehuda came along and said, when, it's, when it said Lamata, it means literally in the water, I, as this diagram shows, that's Beishamai. Now he says, Maishna Lamata Mamish. Why does he say it's not good enough to go down to the water, that it must actually be submerged in the water? The Lord, the Arvi Maya, because then the water mixes. He says, Lamata minamaya nami Arvi Maya. If it's beneath in the water, if it's submerged in the water, then the water will also mix. 
I gave Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda came and explained the Machloikah, saying that the partition according to Beishama has to be in the water. Why does he say it has to be in the water as opposed to just balancing, not balancing, but fixed on top of the water? Because it has to split the water into kind of two wells for this side, this chotzer on this side, and the chotzer of that side. So if it's, it doesn't make a difference whether it's above the water, whether it's submerged in the water, the water, if it's submerged, the water on top will still mix. So Amalei, Loshmai, Lechohot, Amar, Rabbi Yehuda, Amar, Rav, didn't you watch Rabbi Yehuda, said the name of Rav, Umat, Ubom, Yishum, Rabbi Chia, some said it was actually in the name of Rabbi Chia, Sorry, Shiyiru, Roshan, Shulkani, Lamala, Minamayim, Tefach, you actually have to see the, the, the partition jutting above the water. Aye, so according to Beishamai, the, the well has to go, the, the partition has to go from the bottom of the well, coming up and protrude a tefah. Because that kind of signifies in our mind a clear distinction between the two sides of the well. Grant, interesting enough, granted it doesn't have to be an iron platform that no water moves across. It just has to look like that. It can even be a reed mat, as we'll see. But it has to look like a partition, and it has to jut out from the water so that it looks like it's separating the two. The two... A second question. He says, According to how we understood base Ilal, that it has to be above the water, why did he learn it has to be on, t- according to Rav, Rav Yehuda, it had to be on top of the water? Why doesn't he learn Lamala literally mean from the top of the well, like the first opinion we learned, I going down. So he says, the Lord, the Arvi Maya, because then the water will mix. Well, the Mala Minamayim, if it's just above the water, Namiho Arvi Maya, the water will also mix. So Amalei, Loishmael. Amalei said to him, Loishmael, Ho, the Tony Yaakov, Karchinai, did you not hear about the teaching of Rabbi Yaakov, Karchinai? According to Basilal, you have to. According to Rav Yehuda, according to Basilal, you have to sink the partition into the water tefach. So it looks like you've split the well in half. So again, key factor according to Rav Yehuda is it has to come across as if you're splitting the well in half, that you've separated the water into two wells, so you're not drawing from one side of the other. And if we learn according to Beishamai. <coughs> <coughs> um, according to Beishamai, it has to, according it has to go deep in the water and jut out a tefah. And according to Beishilal, it has to be like nine tefahim above the water and one tefah below the water. Now we're going to discuss it a bit further. He says, Rabbi Yehuda said, if you have a beam of four tfachim, it permits you to carry under the beam in a ruin. What we're discussing here is this ruin doesn't have many walls around, but there's enough walls to just balance a beam across. If the beam is four tfachim wide, we have a concept, this is according to Tosis, it's a little bit easier than Rashi, that's why generally I go according to Rashi, but you will go according to Tosis. There's a concept that if you have a ceiling, you can view it, a, a roof, you can view it as if the walls drop down from the roof. The concept's called P-Tikra, the edge of the roof, Yoreid Vesoisem, Yoreid Vesoisem goes down and closes it off. Now, so what happens, if you have this large beam, this fort for him or more over you, overhead, 
you can view it as if there's a wall on either side of that beam. So you can carry under that beam. But Rav Nachman said in the name of Rabba Baravua, so you can say the same thing with the beam over the water. I, let me see if I have a picture one second. Yeah, if you have this beam over the well, this, and it's four tfochim wide, you view it as if there's a wall dropping down on either side of the beam and as if it splits the water in half. But now according to Rav Yehuda, Rav Yehuda says it has to look as if the water split. And, and then you're not allowed to draw from one side of the other. It says, But aren't you concerned like you see in this picture that the bucket, when you throw the bucket into the well, it's going to go outside the other it's going to go outside the other side of the river, of, of the well, and then it's going to be drawing water from the other chotzer. So the Gemara says, No, um, they have, uh, the rabbis worked out that this bucket's never going to um, drift more than four tfachim. So remember, you'd view the wall, if you look at this diagram, um, so one second. Yeah, if you look at the diagram, the the, the wall would be on either side. The theory, the invisible wall of P Tikri Yored Vesoisem, the edge of a roof goes down and blocks it off, acts as a partition. Um, the bucket's never going to travel the full fort for him under the beam and draw from the other side of the well. It will always draw from here, which is fine. Um, so the Gemara asks, Maya. It says, still, according to Rabbi Yehuda, you have a problem because the water under the beam is a mixture. It's owned by both of them. Remember, the water under the beam is uh, is owned equally accessible, owned by both of the Chatseros. So granted, the bucket won't go all the way to the water on the other side of the Chatser, it might go under the beam, which is water owned by both chatzers, and, uh, and therefore it has a different ownership to the water on your side, which is only yours, and it's a problem. And we know Rabbi Yehuda, as we've seen, requires a physical separation. So the Gemara says, You're right, we have to revise our position and say it's a leniency that Chazal instituted by water. Um, Chazal, may, as we'll, I mean, we'll bring another source for this, but we've mentioned this concept a few times. Water is essential to people. So there are a few leniencies we find by Hilchas Eruvin that would never apply except to enable people to draw water. If you have a hanging mechitza, does it allow you to carry in a ruin? Um, what's a mechitza tluya? So that we know is, let's say you have a... Ha- a a ruin, so a lot of the bottom part of the wall got bashed down. So there's 10 fochim from the top of the wall going down, but there's a big gap at the bottom of the wall. So that's a mechitza tluya, a hanging partition. Are you allowed to carry, if you have walls around an area that are hanging walls, are you allowed to carry there? So amalei, ein mechitza tluya materes ela b'mayim. He said to him, we only allow, a, we only say a mechitza tluya is valid by water. It's a leniency that the rabbis 
applied to water. I, and where else have we seen this? So yeah, so you're right. According to Rav, generally you would think that you need a, an actual partition going into the in the water. But we go lenient by water and say you don't need a real partition. Even though it looks very suspect, this whole scenario we have, it looks like you're drawing water from the other side of the well, or it looks like you're drawing from water that belongs to both Chatseros. We go lenient by water. According to Rashi, we actually Paskin like the lenient opinion that you don't need a proper partition and therefore this beam across. Where just to remind us, so where else have we seen this? Pitikriyari Vasois. And generally, um, the concept is if a, a gadi, if a kid goat could run under the partition, run straight through, it's invalid. So that's why if you have a wall that's dropping down and ends three twachim above the ground, a little kid goat can just run through easily, so it's invalid. Um, however, you will see more about this shortly. Um, however, by water, they did allow it. Even though it doesn't reach to within three twachim of the water or the bottom of the well or the thing, they did allow it. Other leniencies we saw is, uh, remember that if there's a well in a Rishus Harabim, you can just set up those boards at the corner, the four boards at the corner. And you can use draw, you can take your animals in and draw water from the well to give your animals to drink. Even though, strictly speaking, they're large gaps and it doesn't count for all other halachas of a roofing, it wouldn't count as enclosed for drawing water. Just having four, remember the jumadin, the four jewel uh, things at the corners around the well in Rishus Rabin turns it into Rishus Hayochid. Okay, Omar Rabbi Yehuda. Then Rabbi Yehuda came along and says, uh, why should the Mechitza be any better than the wall? Again, as we started with this, the Mishnah came along and these opinions were, the wall that splits the two courtyards is not good enough. Um, but, and you need a Mechitza. Rabbi Yehuda came along and said, what, what's, what's the weakness in this wall? This wall should be more than sufficient. Um, so on that, Omar, so Omar, Rabbi Barakana, Omar, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Khana said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yehuda, Bashitus, Rabbi Yosi, Omar, Rabbi Yehuda is following in the opinion of Rabbi Yosi, the Omar, Mechitza, Tuluya, Materes, Afilu, Biyabosho, who holds that a Mechitza, Tuluya is valid even on dry land. The Tanan, as we learned in the Mishnah, Mishal, Shilt, Vonis, Mil, Mal, this is regarding a sukkah. If you start weaving the walls of the sukkah from top downwards, if the walls don't reach to the ground or within three tfokim of the ground, it's invalid. If, they, if you're weaving the walls, you're building the walls from the ground upwards, as soon as the walls are ten tfokim high, the sukkah is kosher even if it doesn't reach the schach. Right? So you've got to remember that as long as you get your wall 10 him high, even if there's a large gap between the top of the wall of the sukkah and the schach, it's a kosher sukkah. Rabbi Yosi, Omer, Rabbi Yosi says, Keshem milmata lamala asara, kach milmala lamata asara. No, just as you need a wall from the ground upwards 10 him, then it's kosher. Well, so too, if you have it from the roof downwards of 10 him, it's kosher. Aye, what do we see Rabbi Yossi holds? Rabbi Yossi holds, if you have this Mechitza Teluya, a hanging partition, even, um, it's still valid. We, the Chachomim hold, it's not valid because it's a Mechitza Sheg de Gedim Boikimbo. That little kid goats can just run straight through, so it's an invalid Mechitza. But Rabbi Yossi holds that it is still considered a valid Mechitza.
So we said that Rabbi Yehuda in our Mishnah said that the wall of the Chotzer is sufficient to count as splitting the well. And Rabbi Yoisi said that the wall of a sukkah from top down is counts as a wall of a sukkah even though there's a large gap at the bottom of the between the ground and the start of the wall of the sukkah. So we said they're the same thing. The Gomorrah is going to come along and show that they don't necessarily hold for the same opinion because there's reasons to differentiate between sukkah and Shabbos. Says Velohi, that's not true. Rabbi Yehuda doesn't necessarily hold for Rabbi Yosi, and Rabbi Yosi doesn't hold for Rabbi Yosi. Why? Rabbi Yehuda loy sovalok Rabbi Yosi ad kan loy kom Rabbi Yehuda elabe ruvei chatzeros drabonon. Why did Rabbi Yehuda say that a a wall mechitzah tluy is valid by ruvin because a ruvei chatzeros is only a isur drabonon? Remember, strictly speaking, if it's an enclosed area, it's a rishus hayochid, and you can carry from according to the Torah, you can carry from one rishus hayochid to another. So why do you need an eruv between two chatzeros, etc.? Because of Xerus Rabbonin. says, Aval Sukkah de Oraisa, but Sukkah is a mitzvah as a positive commandment from the Torah, law, it would not be sufficient. You would need the wall to go down to the ground. So that's why Rabbi Yehuda would not necessarily agree with Rabbi Yossi that it's a valid Sukkah if there's a gap between the Sukkah and the, and the ground. It says, Veloy Rabbi Yossi, Sovalok Rabbi Yehuda. Ad kan loka Omer Rabbi Yossi, Elabas Sukkah de Isur Asehu. Maybe Rabbi Yossi only said his halacha by a sukkah, which is at worst you transgress a positive commandment. Aye? It's a positive commandment to dwell in your sukkah. Aye? To do that, you have to build a sukkah. If you don't have a kosher sukkah and you're not dwelling in your sukkah, what are you doing wrong? A positive, you're transgressing a positive commandment. It's one of the most, based on its punishment, it's one of the most lenient uh, type of mitzvahs. It says, Aval Shabbos de Isus Gila, but Shabbos is Gila. Law on Rabbi Yossi would never say that you can rely on a mechitza tluya. Now, interestingly enough, the halacha we're discussing here is by Shabbos is only a isudrabonon. But we have a concept that I think it's I think the concept is called the tikkun rabonon kain doraisa tikkun. Whenever the rabbis instituted a mitzvah, they generally instituted along the lines of the doraisa law. So a ruvin granted this law of a is only a mitzvah drabonon. They would fashion it and it's connected to Shabbos, which is an Isur Skila. It is one of the, the most severe of all types of Averas. Remember, we often, granted, we don't know the reward for different mitzvahs and Averas, and we don't know how necessary and important each one is. We rank the severity of mitzvahs and Averas by their punishment. Isur Skila is the highest, highest punishment, the most severe. It's reserved for Shabbos, Avoid Zora, and a few other very serious Averas. Um, um, Isur Asay is on the opposite extreme. It's one of the most lenient, least severe of things, punishments. So that would be, um, so Rabbi Yossi, Basuka, Rabbi Yossi says you can go lenient, but by Shabbos, he would not allow you to go lenient and rely on a Mechitza Teluya, a hanging partition. He says, then the Gomorrah. So, oh, what about the incident that happened in Sipuri? There we'll see shortly. But Sipuri was the city where Rabbi Yossi was the rabbi and he relied on a Mechitza Teluya. 
We just said that Rabbi Yossi would not allow a mechitzah to on Shabbos because Shabbos is so strict. And therefore, if there was a gap between the ground and the wall of three tfokim, it would be an invalid partition. But in Tsipoiri, we're going to see it, um, we're going to see shortly that they did allow it. And Tsipoiri, Rabbi Yossi was the rav of the town. So who else? Alpiminase. Who else did they do practice this based on? This law no, that wasn't done uh, based on Rabbi Yossi. That was done on his son, Rabbi Shmob Rabbi Yossi. And we're actually much keen, we're very reluctant to ask on Rabbi Yossi because he's very authoritative. But Rabbi Shmuel, his son, is well, not as authoritative and therefore we're less reluctant if the practice was based on him. Once they forgot to bring the Sefer Torah to the shul on Erev Shabbos. It seems the Sefer Torah was kept at someone's house and they used to bring it to shul on Erev Shabbos so that they would have it there on Shabbos. Or maybe it was the other way around. Maybe that day some people were having a private minion. I think nowadays we call them pirate minions. But uh, they were having a private minion and, uh, um, and they forgot to bring the Sefer Torah to the house on Erev Shabbos. So he says, Lamotho Pisu Sadin al Alha Amudin, they view Sefer Torah of a Korubo. So they hung cloths on poles uh, to kind of build a passageway between the house where the Torah was and the house where they wanted to daven. And they brought the Sefer Torah and lane from it. So what do we see? They relied on a Mechitza Tuluya. Seems those sheets, those cloths that they hung on these poles to make a a passageway because then it would be surrounded on all sides a passageway that they could carry from the house to where they wanted to lane um, um, they relied on but again as we said that was Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi would not have allowed that then, it, then the Gemara just wants to confirm a halogu who would allow you to hang partitions like this on Shabbos? He Everyone agrees you're not allowed to build a temporary structure on Shabbos. That we discussed in Masechet Shabbos. Granted, it's not really building because it's not a permanent structure. It's just hanging posts. You're not allowed to make an oil array, a temporary structure on Shabbos. Um, so you have to say that what actually happened is there was already these, this passageway was already set up for whatever reason. These partitions were hanging there and they relied on these partitions to carry. But yeah, they would never have set up, built the side um, to carry there. And I think the Chidush are oh, what's special about this case is that they relied on Mechitzus Tuluyos. Which, interesting enough, it seems according to Rabbi Yehuda, would be fine. You could rely on Mechitzus Tuluyos on Shabbos, because it's just the Isu Rabbonin, this Eruv Chatzeruv. And according to Rabbi Yossi, you would not be allowed to, because Shabbos is so strict. Um, there's a whole discussion based on this, whether you should actually daven in a shul where they don't keep the Sefer Torah there. And it's all um, one is because you run into trouble on Shabbos if you forget the Sefer Torah. And the second aspect is there's a whole discussion regarding covered Sefer Torah to just take the, to schlep the Sefer Torah to where you want to be to daven. You must go to the Sefer Torah, you mustn't schlep it to where you go. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but that could, that's theoretically a problem 
for, I mean, obviously, halakhically, they have rounds to get out of it, to take a safer Torah to a house of availing. If it's a once-off minion or something like that, it's really it's problematic to safer, take a safer Torah there. Um, or on a Shabbaton or something, obviously, if it's more fixed or more permanent, then there, or it runs for a few days, then it would be less problematic. Okay, we'll leave it there for today, and we'll continue with the new sugya tomorrow.